0: You're listening to the Kindling Rhythms Podcast by Restore Houston Church. In John chapter 21, Jesus built a kindling fire for his friend Peter, who was at a low place in his life. His shame and failures were defining everything for him. But Jesus will not let shame and failure have the last word in Peter's life. In an act of love, Jesus built a kindling fire to serve as a meeting place between himself and Peter. A broken Peter meets with Jesus around this fire, and Jesus gently restores Peter, showing him love, giving him grace, and empowering him to live the life that Jesus had called him to. In this beautiful moment, the whole direction of Peter's life changes. Kindling rhythm strives to follow in the tradition of that same kindling fire that Jesus brought for Peter, by creating a meeting space where your shame and failure give way to the love of Jesus. Where grace restores even the most broken parts of your life, and you can find rest knowing that He deeply cares for you. May you also, just like Peter, find Him in this space.
1: Okay. Wow. <laughs> uh, so, how many of you are still glad you joined Restore after that sermon? Um, <laughs> that that was. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's this is one. So this is one of those sermons where I feel like. As your pastor, I first want to just ask for your forgiveness for the inadequacy in which I'll explain such things. Um, There's like they're just it's it's hard to always put into words some of the things that I'm reading in Leviticus or you're seeing in Leviticus. So um, please forgive me for the inadequacies. Um, Hopefully uh, my prayer is that God will even as confusing it is, God will use uh, this to shape our hearts in some way to see him more clearly and know him more fully. Um, and maybe know ourselves better and, and change the way that we live and love and treat others around us. Um, so we've gotten to the day of atonement. Um, we've established that atonement is to, to imply an at-oneness, right? Like a, a relational cohesion, um, relational intimacy, you might say. And I don't mean just sexual intimacy. I mean just like intimacy and connectedness um, or at oneness atonement. Um, and it really does two things. One, um, in order to be atoned. So I gave the analogy of in order to be atoned to my wife, there were certain parts of me that had to change. Like I had to give up hot dogs and hot pockets and pop tarts. Well, I I gave up two of those three. I still, am not ready to give up hot dogs, but, um, (laughs) you know, um, Right. Like, and, but there were other parts of me that really had to change if I was going to experience any kind of relational intimacy or oneness with Alyssa. Like I had to, I had to learn to be like, I had to grow. I had to heal. I had to be less passive aggressive than I usually am. I had to be more communicative than I usually am. Like I had to be less isolative than I can be sometimes. And, um, all of those things had they been allowed to continue in the marriage, I think would have just driven a giant wedge. And I mean, that's kind of what married life is or friend, you know, if you're a friendship with someone like you're constantly, kind of adjusting to each other and and all of that. And so this idea that we have to adjust in order to have connectedness or oneness is not an unfamiliar concept. We don't necessarily say it in the way they are in the passages that we're reading. But I do think that all of us fundamentally at some level know if I want to experience oneness or closeness or connectedness with this person, like I can't just come and... Totally be myself like you can but then you can't also like there are parts of you that are going to be destructive towards that oneness and Those parts of yourself if you just say well, I don't care I'm just a passive-aggressive person whatever like that's gonna drive a wedge in your relationship And so you have to learn to heal from those things and um, and, and that's essentially what the Day of Atonement is. It's, it's showing us what do we have to heal from in order to be in the presence of God, in order to live life to the fullest and know Him fully um, and all of those kinds of things. And there's gonna be two things, both of those things atonement in this context suggests The first is we have to be delivered from death. We have to be ransomed from death. We have to be freed from death. And you're like, well, wait, I thought we'd go to God after we die. Um, so this is there's a big whole conversation we can have around that um, but the original idea is um, that we were supposed to live on this planet free from death, free from sin, free from brokenness, free from suffering in the presence of God. And so the long story short is at restore we believe that God is... Not rescuing us from this world so that when we die, we go off to heaven and we be with him. But in fact, he's restoring or remaking or recreating the world around us so that at one point we will be resurrected, given resurrected bodies just like Jesus to live on this world as we always were meant to with him in his presence, um, like we saw in the Garden of Eden. and that is what we see is emerging of heaven and earth together. And there's all kinds of imagery about that all throughout scripture that God is remaking the world around us. And so that means for us as Christians, we need to really value the world around us. We need to value the people around us because rather than us dying someday and disip, like being like so long suckers, like we're actually coming back. Um, we're getting resurrected. Like this world is our home. And so um, it just it reshifts it it's a shift in our mindset but um because for so long i think christians have made peace with death and i don't think we're ever supposed to be, make peace with death in fact paul tells us uh the last enemy that jesus will put under his feet when he returns is death death is an enemy of god not a tool of god not some sort of collaboration with god not something that like god's like well you have to do this in order to be with me like it was a product of sin. It was a product of it's a product of human rebellion towards God, um, and we could have conversations about that for days or weeks, or we could even take seminaries or uh, courses on that. Um, but that's the like the super uh, synced version of that. Um, so the first thing it tells us is that we need to be ransomed from death. Everything that death has done, the way that death has damaged our world, damaged our souls, damaged our hearts, we need to be healed from that. Um, the second thing it, it, it tells us is really closely connected with the first is all of those like death has really corrupted and tainted um, and damaged and wounded all the different parts of our reality and our existence now some of those things are um, because of choices we've made that were wrong like putting someone down or cheating on a spouse or lying or, or uh, acting deceptively, or cheating on our taxes, whatever. Um, sometimes we experience brokenness from the decisions we've made, but all of us have been affected by death in one way or another. We've all lost somebody that we love. Um, but more than that, death it came into the world, and we talked a little bit about this in the sermon, but um, this idea that we're so used to of survival of the fittest is a principle that's in place because of death, because we're all trying to avoid death uh, and, and live. And so because we're all trying to avoid death and live, that means all of us are going to act in self-preserving ways. We're going to not give as generously as we should. We're not going to step in in situations when we ought to. We're not going to stand up for justice at all times when we know we should, um, because we are used to acting in self-preserving ways. That's something, that's a product of death. And so even though in those ways aren't in and of themselves necessarily like immoral, are wrong what the Bible would say is those are impure meaning um, your existence has been tainted by death and so we don't really get to experience the fullness of life that God had ever intended us to in the Garden of Eden because death has corrupted every part of our existence so like the idea of living in a world where we could totally be vulnerable and be ourselves because we knew no one would hurt us and we could trust everyone we met and God was there to provide guidance and wisdom in our life like It's hard for us to picture a reality like that, and that's because of death or impurity. And so that's really the conversation that um, the Day of Atonement is going to start us off on, um, is it's going to portray death as, as the opposite of life and the opposite of God. Um, And it's going to show us that when we try to, um, again, be our own God or do things in a way that is different from the way that God designed or intended, it leads to death and it leads to impurity and it leads to corruption. Um, All of these things that we see in the story. So if you're in our meeting houses, this is where you can pause and you guys can start discussing i'm going to take uh about 15 extra minutes to, to unpack some of this a little bit more so if you want to go and watch the, le- the last half um don't do it at your meeting houses like you guys spend some time talking and wrestling with each other but um i'm gonna essentially wrestle with it for a couple more minutes um in the podcast so As always, if you guys have questions, please reach out. This is an intimidating series, um, and yet I just want to encourage us. There's a lot of beauty and grace, and um, I think that it can really— we we can see God in a totally different way when we make it through Leviticus. So um, I love you guys. I'm praying for you. Okay, so um, a couple of different things here. Uh, so we're, we're talking about this first. So there's there's two goats that are involved in the Day of Atonement. We're going to talk about this. We're talking about the first goat this time, um, it, which is um, offered as an offering. The second goat is called a scapegoat. Uh, and we're going to talk about that next week. But first, we've got we've to unpack a little bit more what this goat, um, which has just been slaughtered as an offering, means and why its blood is being brought into the tabernacle and sprinkled in various places. Um, and it essentially is this. The goat represented the people of Israel um, through something. Uh, so it, if you've ever heard of the word vicarious substitution, Um, So the word vicarious is is really a term that can be used for when one person subs for another person. But I actually like the medical definition of vicarious the best. I think it does the best, the most justice to um, what we're talking about here. And that vicarious substitution in in medicine is like a vicarious organ is is basically an organ that takes on the role or the function of another organ um, because that organ has failed to operate appropriately or has been removed or something like that. Um, And I suppose there's lots of limited ways in which this happens, but there are instances where an organ can compensate for um, deficiencies in another organ. And that's called vicarious uh, substitution, right? This idea that one organ is operating as this, as another organ, which is deficient, should have operated, but is no longer operating. And this is, in essence, what this goat being sacrificed is doing is it's this organ that is operating as the deficient organ should have. And so by placing the hands on the goat and sacrificing it, you're essentially saying Israel is all all of Israel saying we are this goat. And this goat is without blemish. It's um, without defect. And essentially what, what it's saying is we die. Now that this goat is us, when the goat is killed, we die with the goat well i thought we were moving towards life what's dying here what's dying is the old ways of life the impure ways of life and again impurity is not has nothing to do with moral um moral decisions there are like there is a sacrifice in the Day of Atonement, that deals with moral decisions. It's the next week that we're going to talk about that and the scapegoat. But this, in this instance, um, the impurities of the people die with the goat. And when we say impurities, we say the parts of their lives that have been affected negatively by death. Um, right, and it's symbolism. It's setting us up to understand something. And that, and the first thing it really understands is it helps us understand. It tells us about the character of God. God does not endorse suffering. He doesn't want us to suffer. He didn't create suffering. And so his intention is to kill suffering, to kill death. I think it's not something, and and there are lots of different theological approaches to this. Mine personally, and I suppose we could put this as a secondary issue. So if you disagree with me, that's fine. Um, I think you're wrong, but it's fine if you disagree with me. Um, And that is that God does not cause or create suffering or orchestrate it in any way. He will redeem suffering and things that were meant for, for evil. He'll turn around and and make for our good. But God in of himself doesn't, doesn't use, like he doesn't need suffering in order to accomplish his plans. Um, He doesn't require suffering in order to bring about his ends. Um, That's. That's the realm of Satan. That's the realm of death and destruction, not the realm of God, a God of life and a God of love and a God who gives and whom there is no darkness. Right. So um, there's a lot of uh, things we could unpack there about the character of God. But what it tells us is these impurities God wants to do away with, not because Israelites have weak moral consciences, although they do. And that'll get addressed later. But right now he's wanting to address just the general brokenness that has been caused by death in the world. And he's saying, if you want to enter into this new life that I have for you, this grace that I have for you, like we've got to come up with a totally different way of understanding um, how to live. Like you guys are used to acting in self-preserving ways. Like we're going to have to all of these, all of these impurities in you, we're going to have to purify. Um you know you're used to living life in broken ways i'm used to living life as a diabetic that would be considered an impurity i have a deficient an impure organ Um, that doesn't mean i'm a moral failure in any way Um, but what it does mean is that death and decay and brokenness and chaos have affected my life and i can't remember what it's like to eat without having to wonder if i dosed my insulin correct Um, And so the first thing God's saying is we're going to have to purge you of all that. Like, I don't want that to be a part of your existence, your reality. When you live with me, I want there to be fullness of life and healing and health and prosperity and blessing. Um, And so by by sacrificing this first goat, God is essentially saying all of this is no longer part of the story here. of What I'm doing, I'm remaking things. And eventually all of that goes away. Um, And so he says those those old parts of you die with the goat but the part of the goat that is life that moves into my presence. And so um, that's where I would argue that each of us are indwelled with the, the image of God. Like even though most of us act ways that act in ways that are differently than the way God intended. um, I think we find fullness of life when we begin to live the way that God called us to live, loving others, putting others first, um, living sacrificially, not self-preserving. I think we actually find fullness of life there. And so, what God is saying is, I'm going to pull the part out of you that is life, and I'm going to bring that into my presence. And the part of you that is death dies with the goat. And so you can see the analogy here as it, as we work our way and we begin to understand Jesus' death. Uh, and even Paul will say, the old, you know, the old is gone, the new has come. Um, and put to death the old man. What he's saying is this old way of life, this broken way of life, died with Jesus. Our new way of life is resurrected with His resurrection, and His resurrection did what? His resurrection by blood, uh, by the shedding of His blood, did what? It brings us back into the presence of God. We begin to experience and know the presence of God again through the resurrection of Jesus, and that. And so you see, like a mini um, model of this happening right here with this goat is the old parts of the Israelites die with the goat, the impure parts. Uh, and the parts of them that is life is brought further into uh, the tabernacle, into the presence of God. And that is, in essence, what Jesus has done for us is through his blood um, has brought us into the presence of God, is bringing us into the presence of God again. And so um, that's where I say, like, you see a bunch of barbaric stuff on the surface when you unpack that. Um, you see an enormous amount of beauty and grace and an incredible amount of love that God has and compassion for his people. And, and by the way, um, I, sh- I meant to read this in the sermon and then hardly looked at my sermon notes. Uh, shame on me. But um, there's, there's one other thing I want to mention here. Is this, this sounds like God saying, I need this blood to like because I'm angry at you and this placates my wrath. And um, that's not at all what's happening here. Um, so the blood is actually a gift. So it tells us in the very next chapter, Leviticus 17, 11, um, for the life of the body is in its blood. And I have given you the blood on the altar to purify you, making you right with the Lord. It is the blood given in exchange for a life that makes purification possible. Okay. So again, purification is talking about my broken pancreas, um, not purification from sin in this case. Um, but here's the thing is that, um, I have given you the blood on the altar. I have given you the blood on the altar, God says. I've given it to you as a gift. And so in the ancient world, it was flipped. Um, you had people tossing things into fire and killing their children, offering those things as gifts. Uh, and God says, actually, no, the blood that I'm that's here is my gift to you. And my gift to you is I'm going to be killing the old parts of you that are impure and i'm going to be washing away your sin which we'll talk about next week and i'm going to be bringing you into my presence and this is my gift